بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا ومولانا محمد الحمد لله الحمد لله وكفى وسلاما على عباده الذين اصطفى اما بعد الحمد لله من الله سبحانه وتعالى الريوارد دار القاسم's first graduate the hafiz mashallah hafiz atiq who recited the quran throughout ramadan is none other than Darul Qasim's first graduate as a scholar. This is what we produce. And then may Allah reward uh, Hafiz Atiq's father, Hafiz Tayyip, who's also formidable. He does his tarawi. And then I'm fine, I found out that Hafiz Tayyib's father was also a Hafiz and he would lead Tarawi also. So we have three generations of Hufad. That's a Ni'mah. And they all did their Tarawi. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's fadl that Allah is spreading the word of the Quran, of the Sunnah, of Islam keeping the Muslim Ummah uh, in at least survival mode for the moment. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals the Qur'an and in the process of understanding revelation we must appreciate that the whole Qur'an is in the Lawhi Mahfud, in the preserved tablet and it came down one time instantaneously. It comes down in Ramadan throughout the month and then it comes down all of once in Laylatul Qadr throughout the night. This is how the Quran is revealed from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala into the cosmos, into the universe. With the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the Quran was revealed as we all know over a span of 20, maybe 23 years. But there were occasions when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would reveal a large chunk of the Qur'an, as in the story of Surah Al-An'am. Surah Al-An'am is a huge surah. It is about one and a quarter paras, one and a quarter juice. It was revealed one time to the Prophet ﷺ. In one instance, the Prophet ﷺ, he heard it, he repeated it, and he memorized it in the first sitting. Right. So sometimes a whole surah will be revealed. On other occasions, three words were revealed. So now you can see the disparity between what is revealed to the Prophet ﷺ on one occasion, three words, they were revealed upon the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahabi uh, who was there upon whose thigh the Prophet ﷺ was resting. Sayyidina Zayd, he says that my thigh 
was about to be separated from my torso because of the weight of the three words. So on one occasion, a whole surah, as long as surah al-an'am is revealed, on another occasion, just three words are revealed. And this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals the Qur'an to the Prophet The Prophet in his recitation will also vary the length of his recitation. Sometimes it will be short surahs, sometimes there will be long surahs. And sometimes as a mu'jizah, he will recite a long surah as it is reported that in Maghrib Salat, he recited the whole of Surah Al-Araf. Surah Al-Araf is a long, long surah. Subhanallah, it's over 280 ayat. And he recited the surah in, surah in Maghrib. Don't try this at home because it will take you until Fajr. This is a mojiza. That the Prophet was able to recite in the recitation he would recite with in a slow pace, but he recited this whole surah in Salatul Maghrib way before Isha time came in. And then the Ummah inherited this recitation of the Quran. Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu anhu. One of the great reciters of the Qur'an and someone who was very, very passionate about the Qur'an. He would recite the Qur'an every day. And usually finish one khatam every day. On one occasion, he read the whole Qur'an in one rakat. The whole Qur'an in one rakat. They say, Allah, how do you do this? They take out your computer, your calculator, and say, it takes this long for this amount of ayah to be read, and the night is not that long enough to say that he read the whole Qur'an. That's because we no longer have a concept of barakah. If barakah slapped us in the face today, we wouldn't recognize it. We don't know what barakah is anymore. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created the barakah in the time of not only the Prophet when he recited Surah Araf in Maghrib, but also in the Sahaba as karamat, as their miracles. When somebody writes a book, mashallah, it takes time. Is that true? Even if you're writing on the internet, it takes time. A whole book. I don't mean these uh, memes and whatever fads they're out there. I, I didn't even know what they are. I have no idea, nor do I really want to know. But if you were to draft an article or write a book, a sizable book, I'm sure it would take you one month, maybe. Sometimes the book is longer, two months or three months or six months or one year. To read and proofread and do it again or whatever. There were ulama of this ummah who wrote a thousand pieces of academic work in their lifetimes. How many? A thousand. Now you calculate. On your computer, how long would it take even if they wrote one book a week? How long would it take? 
It doesn't work that way. Two scholars come to mind. Jalaluddin Suyuti and Maulana Ashraf Ali Thanvi of none other than India. They wrote a thousand pieces of academic works in their lives and this was only through the barakah. So what we need to do is inherit barakah from the Qur'an and from reciting the Qur'an. And we must start to re-believe in this idea of spiritual barakah. Because this quantifying of things and material and wealth and economics and politics in the world has destroyed this ummah. This ummah used to survive merely on Allah's fadl, but voluntarily. We survive today on Allah's fadl, but we have no idea how we survive. There's a difference. This ummah relied simply on Allah's fadl. They did all the work. When they were passive, they were aggressive. If they were passive, they wouldn't have ruled half of the known world, what, in 40, 30, 40 years? Who does that? No one. But they remained aggressive in their deeds, and they did the work, but their trust was in not their deeds, their trust was in Allah, and Allah placing barakah in their deeds. And Allah accepting their deeds. And they did so much. They did so much. Nowadays, if we were to recount the stories of the awliya, of the sahaba and the tabi'in, some people will say, I don't believe this. It's impossible. They can't have been that great. But you don't know until you live in the company of people that were like that. Not until you receive the suhbah will you understand what the previous ummah achieved. I have been fortunate, mashallah, to be in the company of such people who had tremendous barakah. Our principal at Sabir Rashad, Allah yarhamu, give him jannah, Mu'ala Abu Sa'ud, rahimullah, with his duties as being the principal, he would finish the Qur'an in nawafil every three days. That's with all the duties. My own Shaykh, Shaykh Miran, Allah yarhamu, would finish the Qur'an likewise. Every three days. Without fail. That he would walk from the madrasa to his house, which was barely five or seven minutes, and during that walk, he would finish one para. He would finish reciting one juice by heart. So don't tell me it's impossible. Because you haven't lived it, you haven't seen it, you haven't tasted it, and you don't know it. So what this ummah needs is to realize that there is tremendous barakah. Huge barakah that descends from the heavens.
if you have faith. If you believe. But if your mind is so focused on the material world and you see nothing except what's in front of you, then you're lost and you're confused. So Allah Taala says to us, Inna that, O oh, Prophet Muhammad sallallahu we have given you kawthar, an abundance of goodness. And this surah, surah al-kawthar, which means abundance of goodness, is the shortest surah in the Quran. You see Allah's hikmah. This is who Allah is. This is what He does. That all the meanings and all the ma'arif and the haqaiq and the realities of this one surah will be revealed on the day of judgment. And what should you do, O Muhammad You have to work here. Pray for your Lord. One heart and sacrifice. When you do this, you will see the kawthar in Jannah. This is the formula for the Prophet which, as I'm saying, the Ummah inherited. This is part of the inheritance of the Prophet that we have inherited and we should be proud that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala still offers us the same opportunity that he offered to the people before us to inherit this barakah. But the condition is iman. The condition is faith. The condition is trusting Allah. That Allah is the one the Prophet said. The food of one person is enough for two. In this world today, in this society, it's all mine, mine, mine. This is my sandwich. I can't share this. I order this. You get your own. Totally antithetical to barakah. It's all mine. Everybody's about mine. And the food for two is enough for four. When? When you know that it is in sharing that barakah is created. All these economic policies and everything else that economists sit down and the government sit down and they make all of these things happen in the world is not based on barakah, it's based on greed. That's why there's no barakah. There you're not going to say that if somebody has a billion dollars, how much of that billion is he going to share? When you read in magazines or you watch on TV or the internet or you get these snapshots about billionaires and what they do, which one of those is willing to share a penny? None of them. But the Prophet said, That the food of one is enough for two people. This is how you take care of the population. Not population control. is called wealth control. You have to add on. Allah is part of the equation. If you don't insert Allah, 
So Abu Yusuf, Rahimullah, Abu Hanifa's greatest student, who was the first supreme justice in world history. Those of you who marvel at the Supreme Court system here, and you have nine of them, mashallah. Abu Yusuf was the first supreme justice in the world's history. You can imagine how sophisticated, civilized, and how advanced we were. That you had a supreme justice sitting there with the ruler, with Harun Rashid, advising him about fiscal matters. About fiscal policies. About what to do with people when they are in need. Anyway, he used to tell his people, who were engaged with wealth and money, collecting zakat and all of this. We had a system of collecting zakat. And we had zakat on almost everything. And alhamdulillah, we used to pay zakat. We used to pay zakat. I'm sure 100% of you in this room, you will pay your zakat, mashallah. If you don't, then shame on you. We used to pay zakat. There was never a person who went hungry in the Muslim Ummah. Because we didn't allow it. Along with saying that the food of one is enough for two and we were always sharing. There was always this responsibility that I as an individual Muslim, I am responsible for the welfare of the Ummah. My job is not to hoard wealth. My job is to spend. So Abu Yusuf used to say, say that when, when, when you're looking at the, the prices in the market, he would quote, what's a hadith? I don't know the exact nature of the son of the hadith, but he used to say this anyway. Don't always calculate your profits and losses based on your prices. For in Allah huwa al-musa'id. Because Allah is the one who does that. There's a supreme justice, a person who knew how the, the whole state and the whole ummah works, advising his people that you must bring Allah into the equation of your economics. That's if we call it economics. We never called it economics. We just called it barakah. Economics is a modern bid'ah. It's a modern word that came after Adam Smith. We never had economics. What we had was trust. We lived on trust. That was our system of economics. Ethics and morals and behavior is what makes people's lives easier or more difficult. So what I'm saying is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals his Qur'an and in the Qur'an and through the Qur'an we see this immense barakah that came on to the person who is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa Now you can imagine the barakah that the Prophet carries and carried both carries in the present sense. How do you feel when you go to Medina? Where do you think that comes from? It comes from the person you go to visit 
in his grave. That's where it comes from. The sukoon and the peace and the nur and the barakah comes from one human being who's in his grave. Can you imagine the barakah he had when he was outside his grave in this world? You can't. Why? Because we don't appreciate the word barakah anymore. When we start eating our food, what's the dua? We're supposed to read. Bismillah ala barakatillah. To show Allah that without barakah in this food, we'll never be satisfied. And isn't that true? You go restaurant hopping every weekend, sometimes every night, just to feel satisfied that you get a satisfactory meal and you spend hundreds of dollars and still there's no barakah. Why? Because the shaitan is eating with you. So, the Prophet ﷺ, he has such immense barakah and it is embodied in his knowledge. And that's the point we are making here at Dar al-Qasim. Dar al-Qasim is an institution for learning and promoting knowledge and uh, we wish to and hope to, inshallah, to both. Bismillah. That's how it has been established. Our motto is in the quest for more knowledge along the lines of the dua. You see that everywhere, wherever you are in Darul Qasim. What we want to say is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Prophet kawthar, an abundance of goodness. And that translated into what? It translated into a supreme knowledge that human history has never paralleled and will never parallel. He won't be able to repeat the knowledge that the Muslims took from the Prophet ﷺ and generated and they promoted in such a great way and preserved. So it comes to us today. It comes to us today. So the amount of, now, the Prophet was, as you know, he was unlettered. This amount of knowledge all comes from someone who did not read or write. And herein is the challenge for Muslims in the West. How do you compete with someone who doesn't read and doesn't write? and yet establishes this empire of knowledge, of scholars, of universities, of colleges, of libraries, of ulama, fuqaha, mutakallimun, muhaddithun, mufassirun, you name it. How, how do you do that? That's the barakah. That's the kawthar. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives to the Prophet that from a speck in the desert came this civilization that is Islam what we need to do is appreciate that read about it learn about it and then study it and then become it that's our job 
Because the greatest challenge for Muslims is not just wealth. It's not just means. We have enough. There's so much spending power that Muslims have in this country. It is mind-boggling. Mind-boggling the amount of spending power we have. And it's apparent every weekend. Friday, lavish parties. Saturday, more lavish parties. Sunday, even a better brunch. And this is every week. Every week of the year, Muslims do what? They party. Do, do they live on social welfare or is it because they have money? Now, it's a disgusting style of living, which obviously is another ten lectures. We're not even going there. I'm just telling you the amount of spending power Muslims have. It's probably in the trillions. And yet we have to shout every Friday. We have to lock people in for tarawi, by the tarawi, close all the doors and do fundraising. We haven't done it here yet. So you're spared of that. What, what, what I'm saying is that there should be no reason why any masjid, any center, any institution has to do any fundraising in the USA based on the spending power that Muslims have in this country. It is disgusting that somebody has to stand here and say, we want money. It is totally deplorable. Why? Because we waste extravagantly so much in the year that that money could very easily create a university. Very easily. I have no doubt in that. It's a question of perspective. It's a question of focus. It's a question of devotion. That if we are going to be the Ummah of Muhammad وسلم, we must promote knowledge in every way, shape and form. This is the message that the Prophet gave the Sahaba. And this is what the Sahaba did. They promoted knowledge everywhere they went. The Tabi, they didn't have books or libraries in the first three generations. They came later. All the great libraries of Qurtuba and Al-Hamra in Spain and then Baghdad and in Tashkent and Bukhara and Samarkand and then India. So many books, millions and millions of books that Muslims wrote. That is all the barakah of the knowledge that came to the unlettered Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa It came from one source. But how do you think they managed to do that if there was no sponsorship? Paper was an expensive commodity, as you know. Where did the ulama get the money to even find the paper? And how did they buy the paper if they were paupers? Because the community understood that if we're going to be a civilization, we need to sponsor academics, scholars. And this is the hallmark of every civilization that is sponsors schools, colleges, universities. Without that, there is no civilization, trust me. This is what we need to do here in the USA. We need to refocus some of our party money 
to institutions. We need to redivert those monies where we're going to be given reward on the day of judgment as sadqa jariya. Continuous sadqa. MashaAllah. And be rewarded so much. MashaAllah. You've all heard of MashaAllah Imam Ghazali. Imam Ghazali, the most famous Muslim, I would say, period. After the Prophet People may know, may not know Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, or Ali. But they, many people in the West, they all know Ghazali. And how do you think he became Ghazali? He had a sponsor. His needs and his family's needs were taken care of so that he could devote his time to scholarship. That's how he became Ghazali. He wasn't working somewhere in a hole in Baghdad and then all of a sudden, miraculously, all his books became famous. It happened in a context, a real world context, where you need people to understand the Muslim brilliance. And this was amazing because it was everywhere. We have several hundred Ghazalis in the Ummah we don't know of. Those who are in academia, they know. We have mashallah, several people, hundreds of people who are just as good as, if not better than Imam Ghazali. Imam Ghazali became famous because of Allah's fadl. That's the way it is. Allah does this. But what I'm saying is that we must revisit the idea of barakah. Barakah comes from the Quran which came upon the Prophet ﷺ in the form of kawthar. And that kawthar was distributed, disseminated to the Sahaba and the Tabi'een until it reaches us here. We must not stop that distribution and assume that someone who learns the rules of wudu is useless. I mean, the, the, the idea in the community is that this madrasa knowledge, where is it going to get us? That's what the idea and perception is in the Ummah. They, they, they learn about tahara and wudu. You can't judge the book by the cover, can you? Because that's not even the starting point. What they learn is so dynamic, so organized, so sophisticated, that they can change the world if they're given the opportunity to. But you just don't see it because you don't know it. The saying goes, people become enemies of what they don't know. So if you have this perception, oh, it's a madrasa and they're learning this and that then you're in the wrong civilization. You're not in the Muslim civilization. Because trust me, there's so much knowledge that someone has to learn in order to say that he is now someone who understands how Islam works. I'm going to leave you with one thought. Imam al-Azim Abu Hanifa rahimullah, was already an established scholar. He was already a great scholar. Then he chose to sit in the company of his sheikh, Sayyidina Hamad, 
And how long do you think he sat with him? He sat with him 18 years. Now you tell me that you get tired of sitting with the sheikh 18 minutes and say, oh, I, I know everything. Abu Hanifa sat with his sheikh for 18 years. So what do you think they were doing? Having tea every day? And kebab? And faruda? Well, what kind of knowledge was being transmitted, exchanged? What were they discussing? What were they thinking? What were the issues they had in their time? Why spend 18 years after you are already an established scholar in the Ummah? So can you imagine the knowledge that his Sheikh Hamad had? So what we need to do is uh, find ourselves again. Rediscover. Rediscover what it means to become and be a Muslim. What it means to be a Muslim is that you have to be a person who either is a knowledgeable person or appreciates knowledge in others. That is the hallmark of our Muslim civilization. And it is with this that we make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep us and preserve us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase in our knowledge and our amal. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our du'as. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the best of endings. Amin ya rabbal alameen.